Lucha Mask for another time, for it is another episode of the Sweet Chinwag Podcast. I am Sam, alongside Dan and Reardon, as we continue our journey through the wacky world of professional wrestling. Hello once again, chaps. It's been a wild week for us. My voice, I think, has just about recovered. How are you mm-hmm. chaps doing? I am still ordained with the amount of merch I bought. Correct. <laughs> I'm Looking... surprised you managed to get some. I mean, because you did actually go out at the perfect time to get some. I I I had I planned it perfectly, frankly. <laughs> yes, you did. It, it it worked out so well. I I came back to the, to our seats looking like I just like skinned an antelope. <laughs> A totally it's god-shaped just... antelope, <laughs> Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But it oh. is good. To be, it's good to be back to business. Back to normal. Normal yeah. programming today. It is. It is. It is very nice to be back. It's very nice to be back and uh, not have to, you know, uh, uh, not have to have social restraint <laughs> a little. But it's also just back. Good. To a be little. Back, nice, a relaxed. Little. Not have to be stressed out by taking the tube. We'll get all to all of this, everybody, <laughs> about our experience from uh, from last week. But before we do that. We give you this podcast thanks to those lovely people over at SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and forever pending other platforms. You know, guys, we may be also all in on wrestling, but we are also all in on pending because we will always be pending now and forevermore. (laughs) You're darn right, sir. You're darn right. So... Another thing, of course, as I said, previous episodes, a uh, couple of episodes back, patreon.com forward slash sweet chinwag. We are going to be doing a big revamp of the stuff, new per, like kind of a new couple of things here and there. We're still planning what to do for terms of Patreon exclusive stuff, but we're hoping to get the ball rolling on that very soon. But if you want to kind of like jump in ahead early whilst the going's still good, patreon.com forward slash sweet chinwag. Cheeky plug yes. right there. So it is another year. <coughs> Another time to celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month. But before we get onto our retrospective, all about psychosis, it is time to visit Dan for this week's wrestling news. Dun 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 down. Wrestling news. Ah. Uh. Okay. Um. I think there's only one place to start, uh. and it's um by good old good old Pepsi Phil. <laughs> Chicago Girl. Phil, if you will. So here for, for you my are. for my Chikara fans out there, CP Monk. <laughs> so here we are. We're all in the we're all in the stadium. None the wiser to what's going on on the pre just before the show or the whole entire show starts. Mm-hmm. Because we all, I mean, we'll talk about our experiences after this little bit here. Uh, as a little kind of a side bit, um, but yeah, we we were there. We had just seen the Zero Hour, which was a hell of a lot of fun uh, to see. I mean, I think we all got lost. I think a, a, an entire stadium lost their shit over Grado appearing at, uh, at All In and to attack Jeff Jarrett. But we had a very very good pre-show for the FTW Championship between Jack Perry and Hook, and Hook is. If you, if you, if there was any other doubt that Hook wasn't over in the UK, then I think that was confirmed <clears> when he entered Wembley Stadium. 
Um, the, 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 I mean, like, the only thing that could have made it better is if actually Action Bronson was there. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But little did we know, because of that match, a little scuffle ensued. Yeah, basic, basically, there's, I mean, there's, a, like, 19 billion different retellings at this point. As is tradition. Yeah. Which I find hilarious, because apparently the thing's been recorded, and apparently Tony Khan was there where it happened. So, oh, really? no fucking clue why people are making this massive fucking hoo-ha about it. I don't know, I don't understand what investigation needs to happen. My brother in Christ, the owner of the company, was there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... The summary of it is, is that uh, during the match, um, Jack Perry takes the Brain Buster onto the glass, or does the Brain Buster onto the glass on hook, whatever, um, and set and says to the camera, "That's real glass." To get back at CM Punk over the whole hoo-ha about him using real glass for a pre-tape thing. Oh yeah, he also did say, "Go cry me a river." Yeah. Right, which, which someone and then, which someone brought up. Now I think Tony Khan should get the 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 the, the licensing rights for Jack Perry's theme to be "Cry Me a River" by Justin Timberlake. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> right. So that all fucking happens. Match finishes. Jack Perry goes to the back. CM Punk's like, "You got a fucking problem with me?" Like. And then apparently they, they get into a scrap and then apparently their like monitors are getting knocked over and then Samoa Joe comes along and is like, I you two just shut up and pushes them away. And then CM Punk goes out and has his match. And really, look, my summary of all of this is like wrestling drama is like so unbelievably petty. Yeah. But do you all know my big thing out of all of this? And it's not about CM Punk. It's not about Jack Perry. It's AEW. Yes. Where is yes. your HR department? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what? That's actually a, a, from another point that also has to do with CM Punk, where it came, it made out that CM Punk had to make his way to Wembley via yeah. public transport. <laughs> Which, on one hand, I understand like logistically because it's actually very easy to go from an airport to Wembley. Like, like there is, like, links there. Yes. Mm. On the other hand, what is he doing? <laughs> who, has, who hasn't called this man an Uber? Like... Here's the thing. From what I've heard, it is actually common practice for all AEW talent to sort their own travel arrangements. They're kind of their own kind of taxi once they land at the airport. So it isn't a it isn't a very it isn't a isolated case. It just turns out that it seems like Punk was under the impression that maybe because they're in a foreign country, that sort of thing might have been changed, or the itinerary might have been changed. See, right, but here's my here's my here's my thing on this, right? Not trying to blame Punk. AEW AEW as a company, a can afford transport. Yes. Yes. B, you are CM Punk. You are not like don't 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 give me some starting artist thing. You can afford a cab. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I actually understand because it might have been more efficient. Yeah, no, no, because it, it it could have it could have been that he was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll just get I'll just I guess I'll just get the train then. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's whatever because you can go from Gatwick to Central London so e- super easy. But like, if that even if that's not like the case though, like I just, I have all these things in my head. Like, isn't that something that you'd confirm before you go? Yes. <laughs> like when you just like you know contact whoever like I don't know talent and raise say oh will I have transport when I get there or do I need to arrange that myself? Yeah. I mm. think also, when you I'm when he to... when he arrives, I'm fairly sure that he could have been like, oh, okay, I guess I'll get like, a, I like, I know that Gatwick. I'm assuming he went to Gatwick or Heathrow. Either one of them have airport taxis. <laughs> I know this. I've been through both of them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing. I don't blame <clears throat> Punk for this, but I actually it's it's definitely a like a a huge what the heck logistical problem in terms of AEW management. Oh, one billion, one billion percent. Like, yeah. Because, like, as, as not, a company, not, not arranging you? travel for your talent is just, like, you're just asking for trouble. Because they also gave him a number that bounced back to him. So it's like, oh, for the love of God, someone messed up royally somewhere for that <laughs> yeah. shit that happened. Yeah, it just, it just raises so many questions. I think the whole, I, the whole situation from that... Him being obviously really on fit on, on, on with a short fuse. I think that would anyone make anyone have a short fuse. But I guess especially that any one thing would have set that guy off. So in 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 essence, you think to yourself, "Damn, was there any surprise really that Punk kind of reacted the heat?" <laughs> okay, right, but then, but at the same time, here's here's like, here's my hmm. second part, right. So we get to the venue day off, right? Yeah. And obviously everyone's going through everything and trying to sort everything out and you know, figure out what what the fuck is going on. And then literally before like he wasn't able to put aside the fact he had an issue with someone before he was going to go out for his match. Like, obviously, he's probably pissed off, tired, jet lag, whatever, right? Mm. But, like, can you not just hit him with, like, I'm gonna fucking see you later? Yeah. <laughs> and then worry about it. Yeah. Rather than just, oh, wait, five minutes before you're supposed to go. <laughs> he could have. Here's the kicker, right? He could have seriously hurt himself, and the match would have been fucking cancelled at that point. Yeah, gone on. Yeah, it's a bit. Silly. It was. It was a really funny thing I saw, which was like CM Punk never did any of this when he was in the UFC. <laughs> which, which I, which I, which I want to put down to a a mix of knowing he could be immediately humbled, but also knowing he holds zero pull. Yeah, but like I do, I do find this all like incredibly hilarious because it is like the devolution of a man's fragile ego it's it's it, it, it's kind of weird seeing it play out in real time if i'm honest it's like, very weird seeing it <laughs> just seeing just seeing him become like this increasingly isolationist outwardly aggressive man <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's 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 a strange one. This whole situation's weird. No, oh, again, it, it's 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 the bloody same thing as bloody brawl out. It's just it's yeah, it's, pretty much. It's fucking it's 
it's tiring. It's really tiring as a wrestling fan to not focus on the actual <laughs> wrestling and people be more interested about the inner machinations of a wrestling company. Of which I will all say, AEW, from a person who spent a brief amount of time working in this area, right, there's a thing called mediation. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Basically how it works is you sit two people in a room with their representatives and the neutral party and what you do is you have them talk to each other to find out like functional solutions. Please start doing that. Yeah. Please. Because while equally yes, often the best wrestling happens when the company when companies are at their most absolutely devolved. Like we, we want to keep a bit of sustainability that doesn't just come from the fact of Tony Khan is a billionaire. Yeah. Like let let's have something something else going underneath, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> Whether that actually comes to fruition, we may never know. We may mm. never know. Um Yeah, it's weird. Like punk being all like this and that, Jack Perry being like all this and that. I'm, for one, very much on the thing of, isn't Punk being a bit of a hypocrite where someone tries to do something to get heat, but Punk does it as well to Hangman Page, but he can do it? It's a bit weird. I find that, I find that very a, a little bit hypocritical, if, you, if I say so. If there was one hot take that I wanted to take of this, of this whole thing. Uh, yeah. Man, one week. Can we just have one week where we're not talking about mm -hmm. what, the what the hell Pepsi Phil's been up to? <laughs> Please? like. <laughs> no, no, but I, I absolutely hear it, though. Like, it is literally just, <laughs> can we have one week? Ah, oh, well. But no, I like, uh, otherwise, otherwise, though, the show was a lot of fun. Oh yeah, really good card. Literally, the only issue I've had has been Tony Khan's booking of the women's division, which is like a one and a half year constant at this point. At this, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We had a brief break in the middle where he was kind of cooking, and then he just killed it again. Um, just, yeah, just, I get, just, I, I get what he was trying to do, but he's not cooking. Can we just give the pen back to Kenny, please? Can we give the pen to anyone? <laughs> Yeah, at this point, yeah, yeah. There was a um, thing. There was a thing put out where Tony Khan was like, "If I get seriously injured, give the book to Danielson, and please do that now." <laughs> Can we just give it to Danielson and Hero at this point? Because they That's seem. What to be I'm saying, cooking. like, they seem to be fucking cooking with Collision at this point. <laughs> they are. They know what to do. Exactly. Exactly. Should we talk about All In, kind of like right here, like our experience with All In? Yeah. Hell yeah. Man, what, man, what a, a day, what, what a day out uh, that was. Mm -hmm. And as you said, Dan, what a, what a great event from top to bottom, honestly. It was a hell of a lot of fun uh, to watch it. But to be there was, um, I don't know about you chaps, but that was a hell of an experience, considering that is as well my first time going to Wembley Stadium as well. Yeah, my first it time is, as well. It is and an experience. I, I, you know, my, my dad, shout out to my dad, um, he... He he's been to Wembley many a time, but he's never been on the pitch. So I've got that. There you go. 
but no, it was it was very emotional for a number of reasons, and I had a I like the long and short of it is that I did have a great great time, and a lot of firsts. See, my first proper hardcore match was a thing. <laughs> yes, God. <laughs> yes. No, it was it was awesome. I had a really really fun time. I had a fun time meeting everyone, seeing all the people, and I like people I knew from like work. <laughs> Who were there messaging me like, yo, I'm here. Like, I didn't know you were here as well. <clears throat> and like, people that I haven't spoken to in ages seeing it and being like, oh shit, you were there too. And I'm just like, this is crazy to me. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people, uh, like, a lot of people uh, messaging, a lot of mixing with people. And that's it, it's absolutely buggy. That's 81,000 people to see a wrestling show. Like I got there, uh, as I said, baseball. I got there super early, and I and I got immediately recognised by two different uh, uh, peeps, and that was that was weird. That was really weird to experience that because I've never had that. And then someone came up to me and said, "Oh, you you you're the guy that does Joseph stuff." And I was like, "Yes, yes." <laughs> I sincerely hope that none of our listeners ever do that to me. <laughs> Guys, I did tell you. If you do, you will be exterminated. Yes, (laughs) I was incredibly shy, and it showed when when they came up to me. Ridiculous. uh, Like, of course, as well, we finally got to do the the one thing I think a lot of uh, a lot of people have been wanting, and that is we finally got to connect in real life with the Base World Podcast boys. Oh yeah. What lovely boys they are as well. Shout outs to Danny, uh, Cass, and Chair for just being wonderful and insane people. Well, one in mm-hmm. particular is insane. Uh, they know. Well, you know. <laughs> but to be in the great in, in the presence of greatness was a uh, was was an amazing thing. But meeting the base world boys was also alright. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yes, I'm talking about you, Reed, and what like what could I say? Damn right. Damn right. <laughs> no, it was an absolute thrill. We also met some of the boys at UWP as well. Mm-hmm. I heard, I didn't see, I didn't have the opportunity to see Jay, Aaron, or Troy, but from what I heard, Aaron was pretty much. Um, they were getting very drunk. They were getting drunk, and I think it was about two o'clock that we pumped into those guys. It's <laughs> about were, standard. And, and they were saying that Aaron was drunk already. <laughs> And no, that's nothing to do with him being Scottish. I... <laughs> oh gosh, um, and yeah, just bumping into we bumped like of all people, we bumped into Connor as we were going through the stadium. See, this is the thing, right? Because I, um, so fun, fun, fun story. Um, I want to say after. It was it was one of the later it was one of the later ones. I think it was before <sighs> a little bit before the acclaimed match. Yeah. So I I, I ran upstairs to go to the toilet. <laughs> and then as I as I was going through there, I saw someone next to me and I was like, okay. I looked again and I realized it was Nat over that hangs around with the UWP guys. And like oh, we took yeah. a second and we were like we like looked at each other and went, "Oh shit!" <laughs> <laughs> I 
because I just hadn't realized, and we just happened to cross over at that same time, and I was like, well, this is fucking crazy. So I've, I, I, I had an experience like that as we were getting into the stadium as I was lining up. So I saw J-O-O-C and V-1 from OSW past me. And it was like, I had a chance to do it, but I, I desperately needed water. So I couldn't do that. And then I think, I believe, but even though he was right on the opposite end of the stadium, I did see Marky D as well, <laughs> um, which was quite, I was going to say uh, a wild slap nuts appears, but I, I, but I did keep my tongue quite shut because um, <laughs> it looked like he was, he looked like he was having a stressful time. <laughs> But no, that's uh, just just the sea of people, the amount of people that were there that we bumped into, people that we've met for the first time, uh, people that I heard, uh, like mutual acquaintances that were there as well. All of that, and we're not even getting into the wrestling part, which was... <laughs> yeah. Because the wrestling on show, actually, was uh, was pretty darn good. I, yeah. I really... There wasn't one match... Well, there was one match that kind of went, made me just go, that bummed me out, but Apart from that, the match from the show from top to bottom, I was always enjoying myself. Yeah, no, it was a pretty complete card. I was, I was happy with it. Oh but yeah. I will say that this <clears throat> does not give Tony the excuse to start to keep booking this stuff two weeks before the show actually happens. Oh no, that doesn't give him yeah. any fucking right to do that at all. That that's still continually bullshit. But yeah, he he, he did pull it out. Any highlights for you, chaps, in terms of matches? Highlights in terms of matches, ooh, that's very difficult actually. Because the, I think I I really do think the the main event actually lived up to the hype, which I was shocked. Would actually, it was actually a great main event. I was gonna say match match wise, uh, Stadium Stampede. Yes. Um. Definitely. Definitely goes hard. Um, I I really enjoyed the coffin match. <clears throat> Yeah, I was gonna say the co- the coffin match and um, uh, the hook match are not like sleepers, but like they're 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 quietly sitting there doing their job quite well. Yeah, Punk versus Joe was actually really fucking good. Like, it was even with the Hogan spot. <laughs> I just love the fact that Punk starts doing that and then Joe starts hulking up. <laughs> And even does the you finger point as well. Mm. <laughs> I did enjoy that. The six man tag I think goes understated as well because I think Takeshi the show. I think up. it does. Takeshi the show up to absolutely kill Kota Ibushi. <laughs> <laughs> it was meant to be. <laughs> um. Yeah, man. Uh, the acclaim that trios championship match. Um. Uh, I loved that trios championship match actually quite a See, bit. this is the thing that that trios match, I mean the moment and everything, I absolutely love like yeah. Everything to do with that is great. I will say match-wise going back and rewatching it, it doesn't quite do what I think it I want it to do. Mhm. But like still, moment-wise it, it's like basically up there with moment of the night for me. Exactly. I, I, I agree on that one. I agree on that one. Um, I'm still holding firm in my belief of the of the main event. Wasn't my favourite match of the night. However, doesn't mean that I didn't enjoy it. 
because by God was it thoroughly enjoyable. Um, even though I had to duck out <laughs> pretty early. You so made the, the right final. call. Oh boy, did I, because I saw the pictures of Wembley Way leading into Wembley Park Station. Fuck me. Yeah. Oh, I did hear that a lot of people missed the last train. and so A lot of people did. This is the thing I always say, which is that Wembley is a stadium built for 81,000 people, but by God being in there, you would not believe it. No. <laughs> nope. Not at all. <laughs> we had so, we had to we had to book it to make that train. So yeah. I did hear I did hear that you went as soon as that like as soon as the first ding of the bell went, you guys booked it. Yeah, we mm. ran. We ran, and we still got caught in not like not the big scrum, but we got caught in a scrum. Yes. I'm just glad you fellas made it back, back to your homes. Same. <laughs> <laughs> It was funny because I did see a couple of stragglers on my station. Um, they made the they made the correct decision as well, in all in scarves and stuff. And uh, as I said, I got talking to a very lovely chap on the tube on the way home, uh, a guy who made the way all the way from Dallas, Texas, just to just to come to the show. Wow! And the dude has like we, he got talking. He found out the result of the of the match. Uh, we all found out from him. Uh, the guy rated this as his second favorite event he's ever been to, and he's been to WrestleMania 17 and 25 oh, wow. and 32. Like Jesus. he was at WrestleMania 17. He's he, and he even says this beat WrestleMania 17. That's saying something. <laughs> lovely, lovely guy. Whoever, if he is listening, shouts to you, my friend. You got you were freaking awesome. Um, but yeah, that I I probably enjoyed it. Are we doing it again next year? Absolutely. Let's do it. I guess we. I guess we have to now. I guess we have to now at this point. Although I will. I. I will. Uh. I will hub for better seats next time. <laughs> Don't worry about it. We've got time. We've got time. We've got time. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that's about just wraps. Uh, is that about it for the news? I'd say, Dan. Pretty much. Awesome. Awesome. Freedom. What have we got for recommendation corner this week? So I already did a recommendation for our friends at the uh, at the uh, at the other podcast, the gimmick other one. Gimmick infringement, if I've ever heard. I mean, they even stole our theme song just for the beginning joke. Yeah, I know, right? So, but no, I did recommend Blue Beetle, which I will recommend again. Fun, fun movie. Does not deserve everything. Does not deserve the environment it's been thrown into. Dear yeah. God. <laughs> but um, I will actually instead um recommend something very different, guys. How do you feel about Ainsley Harriet? Uh, Unreal! What a I guy! Was, I was I was not expecting the legend, the legend of British TV. Yes. Uh, all I can say is give your meat a good old rub. <laughs> yes, the one of one of the UK's greatest celebrity chefs. And I, I mean, I no meaning, no memeing aside, he is fantastic. And recently, I actually tried his instant soup. Oh hell yeah! Yeah, Ainsley <laughs> Harriet has has like a variety of of like instant like soup packets that you could just make. And guys, they're actually really good. Right, I'm. This is a, a base recommendation. <laughs> like, like, like I like um a friend of mine actually introduced me to him 
And I'm like, and I don't normally buy. Like, you don't really, unless you really, really like them or you really, really believe in them. You don't normally buy like chefs cooking things. You know what I mean? Like yeah, celebrities. Yeah. It's it's like unless you're like a dealer or it's like a cookbook or something like that. But no, I really like them. They are delicious. So if you are like waiting for like, uh, if you just need something just to make for just a very quick little like cup of soup, I recommend Aisley Harriet's brand. Dead serious. In the immortal words of one Mr. Harriet, that yeah, boy. <laughs> just shout out to Aisley Harriet in general. Yes, you have been, absolutely. You, you have been nothing but a delight my entire <laughs> life. Probably one of my favorite celebrity chefs. You know, while we're here, for our American listeners, let's throw it up for Ready, Steady, Cook real quick. Let's yes. throw them up. Throw them yes. up for Ready, Steady, Cook. Throw them up for Ready, Steady, Cook. A show that was 100% like must-see TV. Probably one of my favorite cooking shows of all time. And well, from... Up there with Can't Cook, Won't Cook, which he, of course, hosted as well. No, Just... can't, can't Cook, Won't Cook is, like, it has its place, but Ready, Steady, Cook is, like, mm-hmm. TV, British TV heritage. It is British TV heritage, and a, a, a bizarre combination of of the most relaxed cooking show you will ever watch, and Mad Max. <laughs> <laughs> the easiest way to describe, the easiest way to describe it is it's kind of like a a more relaxed British version of, like, Iron Chef. Yeah! Yeah, it is. That is absolutely the vibe. So Now, I want the I want the guy from Iron Chef and Ainsley Harriet to have their own cooking show together now. <laughs> you know, the guy that goes, the secret ingredient is beer! <laughs> oh, can you imagine the, 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 the charisma radiating from the TV of those two hosting a cooking show together? Oh man! Oh gosh! Good recommendation, Reading. I like it. It's based. It's different. I love it. Oh, I just was not expecting Ainsley Harriet to ever, to ever come up. Is your favorite podcast. podcast promoting soup? No, I didn't think so. We don't do it like anybody else. <laughs> you damn <No>. right. <laughs> you already know. <laughs> Alrighty, with that, it is time to get on to our main portion of the episode. To celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month, we will be going over the best of Lucha Libre within the next four weeks. And we're starting off with our retrospective on Psychosis. Yes, a little bit different than usual than we usually go for. A lot of people probably say he's not as well known in terms of the in terms of the wrestling world and his impact in it and in Lucha Libre, but he is an iconic. I feel for he he is an understated iconic figure, if you ask me, and it's well worth giving his plaudits in his time and space, especially when talking about his time within WCW and his little time in well, basically his career in the nineties. So, fellas, before we get onto our main portion. What are what's the first things that come to your mind when the mention of psychosis comes up? Honestly, just the name. <laughs> what a name! It, it's a, it's a it's an absolute classic. It's the horn as well <laughs> on his mask, isn't it? Yes. Yes. 
Ah, well then, fellas, strap in. As we always, with these retrospectives, go back to the very beginning. Born Dionisio Castellanos Torres in Tijuana, Mexico in May 1971, psychosis ended up becoming a bit of a well-known athletic uh, child, eventually getting in to a wrestling school at a very young age. Now, I couldn't really get much more out of what he was doing in his time in, 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 in the kind of his early life before wrestling. What I do know is that he ended up very early getting into it, especially being, especially hanging around with the famed Mysterio family. As a matter of fact, it was Rey Mysterio who ended up getting him into the wrestling business. Not Junior, the, the original Rey Mysterio. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He ended up training under them and his brother, Phobia. I, I, don't, don't worry, I, I, again, psychosis and phobia, it's like, it seems like it was meant to be. It's, it's, like... it's, it's okay, the, the, these are, this is Mexican wrestling, we'll, we'll, we'll accept it. Yes. He ended up debuting in Rey Mysterio's little promotion up in Tijuana. Uh, as El Salvaje, or Salvaje, I should say, before being given the ring name Psychosis in 1989. He originally actually started wrestling Psychosis uh, under face paint rather than a mask. Um, he wanted to kind of stand out a little more than the average luchador and figured that rather than putting a mask on, face paint might actually be the answer to, to that. And while it certainly worked, the problem with that is called being trying to be a luchador with face paint. It's going to slowly fall off you. It's going to slowly fall off. Eventually, though, in, 19, in March of 1989, whilst doing the, the local Tijuana scene, he ended up coming up with the name Psychosis and ended up debuting that in his local promotion known as Baja California, where he would be pitted most of his career was psychosis against El Hijo del Santo and his eventual and most famous rival, Rey Mysterio Jr. Actually, little fun fact here. Uh, <clears throat> again, really skipping ahead of time. But I want to give you guys a little pop quiz here. Because he, he and Mysterio's careers are so intertwined with one another, can you give me a rough estimate of how many times psychosis and Rey Mysterio have wrestled together? Oh, good, like... Oh, God. They're still wrestling right now, right? <laughs> Both of them are still yeah. wrestling as of right now. Uh, See, their the last the... meeting probably Here's... would have been in the mid-2000s. Okay, the, there's there's two problems to this. One, which is Lucha. <laughs> which will have two people literally fight forever in about 70 billion separate matches. Um, The other problem I'm having here is the existence of WCW. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go for somewhere around about 70 times. I'm probably shooting at the moon, but... What do you think, Reardon? Uh, I'm going to say 55. They have wrestled over 500 times. <laughs> you see? <that? laughs> you, you see? <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm saying. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> unofficial, uh, the unofficial number stands, I think, about around five hundred. Uh, what's chronicled on Cage Match, I think, is a bit closer. To, it's a nearing number. I think it's about four hundred and eighty. 
but we're, we're, we're basically we're damn near close with just like just they've somewhere a hell of a somewhere lot. from about 450 to 500 times so they know each other way 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 too much no <laughs> all right scratch that that means that 70 of them were probably in one year of wcw <laughs> so through this, he would end up, of course, making his name very well known in the new promotion that was coming up in the early 90s, known as Tripler R, where he, of course, ended up reigniting his rivalry with Rey Mysterio Jr., but also having noted rivalries with La Parker, Fuerza Guerrera, and, of course, Juventud Guerrera, the juice man himself. Juvie! Juventud? <laughs> Oh gosh, we ne- I'm I'm so sad we're talking about Hoovy that we never got the the Juice versus the Rock, which is what Hoovy wanted so bad. <laughs> he was never gonna get that. Hoovy, <laughs> dude. <laughs> oh, so but, um, he made it. Well, of course, with all this, he made a name for himself within his native Mexico. But it wouldn't be until 1994 where he would actually gain mainstream exposure over in the United States. And it was from Triple R's pay- first pay-per-view broadcast in America, the When Worlds Collide pay-per-view, which is something we are uh, we're, we're gonna. I definitely want to talk about in the future and actually go over as well with you two because this saw the very first, uh, one of the very first cards that brought several promotions into the card. So it was Triple R who put on the show, uh, but it was also. Uh, WCW, um, the WCW roster and the IWC roster in Puerto Rico that actually oh, no. came together <laughs> and That's to, put a mix. On, to, to put on this big show in uh, in '94 at the Los Angeles Memorial Sports Arena in Los Angeles. Uh, so he would end up making his uh, making his name very well known on this pay per view where he t- where he uh, where he teamed up. In a six-man tag, taking on the team of Heavy Metal, Latin Lover, and Rey Mysterio Jr. To take on, uh, well, where he was partnered with Fuerza Guerrera and yeah. Louis Spicoli, who was under yes. his infamous uh, gimmick in Triple R over in Mexico. And I kid you not, he was known as Madonna's Boyfriend. What? So, that, was his, no, that, that, that was his name in Mexico, uh, yes. Madonna's so, Hang on, so wait a minute, hang on. So when was this? Nineteen ninety-four. That would have been Sean Penn? Or is it Guy Ritchie? No, it was Sean Penn. It was no, Sean I Penn don't think Guy Ritchie yeah. even was in cultural consciousness in nineteen ninety four. Yeah. No, he had just coming in. Yeah, you're right. So yeah, it'd be probably be Sean Penn. Right. See this. This reminds me of. I'm trying to remember who it was. It was. It was like a. I think they were a tag team in like Dragon Gate or something. And they were called like they were called like the Italian Connection. Yes. <laughs> it's it's it's, so, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. I just thought I'd bring that up before actually, because because it would be weird if I didn't if I just said Madonna's boyfriend nonchalantly. Yeah. Instead of saying Louis Spicoli. Because I wanted to gauge both of your reactions to Madonna's boyfriend. See, the thing is, right, is I hear that and I'm like, this is fucking stupid. But I'm like, I don't know why I expect anything different. Yeah. But remember, remember, this is Mexico. They're naming convention. Remember Uh, Vampiro Casanova? 
Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> like Black Magic, Norman Smiley. Like it makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> See, I feel like Black Magic goes hard though. But he did have the. It is some. It is some. It is somewhat racist, but it goes hard. It only works if your name's Norman Smiley. Yeah. Just yeah, the whole the whole magician part of it is a whole separate thing. Ah, <laughs> oh, so it was from when worlds collide that you actually garnered the attention of one Paul Heyman over in Philadelphia. Holy! For Extreme Championship Wrestling, he would debut for them in September '95, teaming up. Oh, sorry, facing I should say Rey Mysterio Jr. <laughs> Uh, at the at the critically acclaimed Gangsters Paradise event that that took place at the ECW Arena. Now this is the very infamous uh, infamous match which saw uh, these two spill out into the parking lot and Rey Mysterio deliver a Hurricane Rana off the bonnet of a car. Ah uh, yes, the very very famous one. Like base... that that as a spot just goes crazy. This again. The entire ECW arena became unglued, and at this time, Mysterio was nineteen still. So that's just that's just crazy, if you ask me. <laughs> but this is such an, an amazing, uh, an amazing match. I went back to watch this one, and guy oh, golly, did they have they had the ECW crowd in the palm of their hands. And by God, was Paul Heyman a genius for going? You know what? I'm booking lucha talent. For ECW. See, this is the thing I always say when it comes to all these things, right? Is that Paul Heyman, as like, as like a wrestling mind, was so ahead of the curve, yet also such an astoundingly shit businessman. Yeah, it is yes. kind of funny that. Uh, it's incredibly impressive. It's like it really is. You can be one or the other. This this man had a one of the greatest minds to the business, and one of the worst minds to the business. Yes. <laughs> Some people say you can only have one or the other, but Paul was like, I want both. No, 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 listen. That man was a genius when it comes to the business and terrible when it came to business. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's it. That is it. Um, he saw it as a way of, because of course he's ta- he, his roster had been gutted by WCW when... Um, uh, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, and Stephen Richards were, mm-hmm. were were left for greener pastures in WCW. Uh, at the recommendation, actually, of Conan, he brought in all of that lucha talent, and uh, it worked out well for him. It, it worked, worked out, out very well. well. Uh, because about a couple of months, about a year or so later, they all got poached by WCW. <laughs> I don't know why, but something about the way. Like just be just because of how the situation is of like those three being taken by WCW, and then him being like, "Well, I guess I'll, I guess I'll use some extra time." For me, gave me this weird idea of like re- outsourcing wrestling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was just like, "Fine, then we'll do this." <laughs> Uh, which, funnily enough, brings us to his time in WCW. <laughs> hey. He hey. gets snapped up in 1996 uh, after a year working alongside Triple R and uh, ECW. Eventually, yes, uh, he actually ends up having a couple of stints as well at Wrestling and Romance over in Japan. Team, of course, Hell having yeah. showcase matches with Rey Mysterio, 
teaming up with Damien six six six. Teaming up. Oh, with what? Geddo. That's a name. That is a name I have not heard in a long while. <laughs> teaming up with Ghetto at one point as well, which made me laugh. He also, funnily enough, had a had a weird tag match where Mysterio and Ultimo Dragon teamed up to take on the team of Psychosis and Leondor, who ended up, of course, is Chris Jericho. Now that's a deep cut. That is a very, very deep cut, if you ask me. But after his his couple of tours alongside wrestling and romance, he would end up debuting in WCW. He actually ended up debuting at the Clash of Champions 33 to take on Conan. Who was the guy that brought him in? Funnily enough, brought most of the lucha talent into WCW. It was kind of fronted by Conan giving them a chance. So Psychosis's early career in WCW would be him pitted against other luchadors, frequently getting the mid card spot on Nitro and and during pay per view events. One of his very first feuds, or most notable feuds, was with the Ultimo Dragon, first working as the babyface. Uh, um, pitting him against uh, Dragon, who was the, who was managed by the evil Sonny Ono, but betrayal as Psychosis ends up getting signed by Sonny Ono, turning into a villain and taking out Dragon. But during this entire length of the feud, you feel like maybe that would give uh, Psychosis an advantage. I look through Cage Batch, and he never once won a match against Ultimo Dragon. I mean, Ultimo Dragon is huh. just too good. Too good. OG belt collector, if you will. You're damn right. You're damn right. Everyone's seen that picture of Dragon having 17 belts hanging <laughs> off his arms. <laughs> he then, after that, began teaming with Leparka under Ono's tutelage at this time. But Ono, seeing the writing on the wall, apparently, dropped them in favour of Yuji Nagata. <laughs> Which, you See, know, the con- the, do, do you know what, right? It's not a bad choice, but the concept of Yuji Nagata having a manager is the, is the fucking weird part of that to me. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> he just cannot be contained. He, he, he just doesn't feel like the kind of wrestler that should have one. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> the Kurt Angle of Japanese wrestling. Who yeah, pretty much. Did facing Kurt Angle. He did, um, very infamously. Um, ends up with a manager? That's like when Kurt Angle got Bob, Bob Backlund as a manager back, yeah. back, in, back in, in 2000, I should say. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, that caused that team to break up very quickly, with Parker attacking Psychosis. Uh, which would eventually lead to a match at Spring Stampede in April 1998, of which Psychosis won against Parker. It was shortly after that, though, that Psychosis joined with a very, very disheartened, jaded, cynical Eddie Guerrero to form a super faction of luchadors and Latino wrestlers, which would eventually be called the Latino World Order. Uh, can I can I address something in the wrestling community? Yes. Sure. Okay. Obviously, after everything with Santos Escobar and everything like that, the LWO come back into prominence. Yes. I would like to stress to people that in WCW, the Latino World Order amounted to about three weeks of TV. Yes. It's, really? It's, it's yes. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. It went from about October to December, and before officially being disbanded by Ric Flair on on the January eleventh, nineteen nine episode of Nitro. And I find it hilarious. 
how much. I mean, I'm going to say WWE. Yeah, it's WWE. But WCW at the same point as well try to maintain as this part of the, this massive part of their branding. And which, to an aspect, it is. But um, because, like, obviously anything like NWO adjacent goes hard. But they try to maintain like it was this massive thing in the first place. And I just have to stress, it really was not. <laughs> here's, here's the kicker. The one that's now the leader of the group was originally uh, one of the one of the hard getters. Like he didn't want to join the group until he was forced to join the group in the original incarnation. Yeah, L W O. Kind of make it does that 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 bit does make me laugh. That bit does make me laugh. So, gentlemen, would you like me to run down the list of who was part of the original incarnation of the L W O? Because I, I imagine we're probably not going to talk about the L W O any other time. <laughs> Well, you know, a... I, you say that. We probably will at some. We probably will at some point. But um, so you had, I, I can't. I've got to make sure I get this right. Psychosis. Yeah. Ray. Yeah. Eddie. Yeah. Eddie was leader. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think who else would have been around that same time. The Parker. <laughs> Fucking Don't Parker. Parker. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> so yeah, um, do you want me to go through the list, fellas? Let's go through the list. So Eddie was leader. Yeah. Second in command was Hector Gaza. Hector Gaza. Damien six six six. El Dandy. El Dandy. Jesus. Psychos- psychosis. La Parker. Spider. Right. Uh, Ray Mysterio Jr. Jr. Hoovy, Silver King, Villano Five, and of course, the the most famous of them all, Cyclope. Fucking that's, Cyclope. That's Cyclope. That's Dean Malenko. Love Cyclope. Oh gosh, yes. The, I love the fact that El Dandy now will forever be known for that bloody Bret Hart promo. I know. We got some. You know, we got some guys in this in this locker room that don't uh, you don't that deserve a title shot. What about old Dandy? <laughs> old Dandy's the best talent we got in the play. Sorry, I've got to stop that. No. <laughs> this brings us then. Let's get to 1992-2000 in his cruiserweight championship run. Uh, on during the 18th, uh, April nineteenth episode of Monday Nitro, Psychosis ended up having a barnstormer of a match against Blitzkrieg, Juventud Guerrera, and Rey Mysterio in a four-way bout to win the Cruiserweight Championship for the very first time. This reign was short-lived, however. How short-lived, may I say? Uh, about seven days, as Rey Mysterio won it back like, yeah. one week later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, 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 that's, that's WCW right there. Mm-hmm. In a nutshell. Do you guys remember Blitzkrieg? Vague. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember Blitzkrieg. Damn, man, that's a SoCal dude, you know, the guy that kind of basically inspired Jack Evans and amazing. I was going to say, Blitzkrieg, Blitzkrieg was, I was going to confirm, but Blitzkrieg is the guy who was in WCW for like, what, like two months, but then basically influenced like the entire SoCal scene. Yeah, pretty much. And what's even better about it is I swear he was like a part-timer. He was a part-timer. Yeah. 
he was a graphic designer, ended up becoming a part-timer. Um, and that's how we got signed. That's actually how we got signed to WWE. He was, he was, he was just some dude that like wrestled on his off days and then was just like secretly innovative to an entire scene. That's, that's my wrestler, my wrestling hero. Thrusted into, onto international television despite being a part-timer. <laughs> I love it. So it's so it's so great. That those are the kind of people in wrestling I love. No, you know you're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, it was actually from him. Uh, right now, actually, no. Fun, fun thing about Blitzkrieg, he's now a registered nurse in Austin, Texas. Oh, yeah. good for good for him. So yeah. Aside, yes. Um, this brings us, of course, to when Psychosis loses his mask. He actually lost it twice, believe it or not. He originally that. lost the mask during a tour of Mexico to Rey Mysterio Jr. He has um he ended up kind of again in that very much that classic of wasted way, uh took the mask off, handed it to Mysterio, whilst at the same time covering his face with his hair and a towel. Kind of like this signaled the beginning of the end, because again, back on, on Nitro. He ended up having a, an Apuesta match against Billy Kidman, where if Kidman lost, he would have his head sh uh, hair shaved. Yeah. Um, and he lost the match, and that was when he had his full face reveal. Um, I don't know how I feel about this whole thing, because this was very much a mandate set by uh, Bischoff. Yeah, and the higher ups on TNT that well, they kind of had they had they had a whole thing at a time where they were like, let's just get rid of people's masks. Which is again, I think we discussed it a couple of times, especially with the Rey Mysterio episode when he was told to remove his mask. Yeah, um, there there was just a point where they just had like they they had this massive thing about it. It's really really weird. Just uh. Yeah, it was bizarre. I couldn't understand it. A lot of people said, well, you can't get over wearing a mask. You can't show your career. It doesn't make any mask. sense. Uh, literally. I've Rey, never... Myster Rey Mysterio exists. <laughs> I was Ultimo say, Dragon exists. Rey Mysterio, since leaving WCW, made an entire career out of, you know, has made an entire Hall of Fame career from wearing a mask. The thing is, right, anyone that's there that goes, you can't get over while wearing a mask, I'll just be, like, do you forget about the existence of El Santo? Like, do you just ignore <laughs> the existence of El Santo? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I know in Mexican wrestling, like, in Mexican wrestling Lucha Libre, it's like, a, it's become like a very traditional thing to wear a mask, but I'm just like, like, what, the fact that you can't see all of someone's face makes that person like an abstract concept or something? <laughs> Only a tiny bit, Dan. Only a tiny like, bit. Like, does this person cease to exist in front of you? <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. It's it, it's so stupid. You know what's even sillier? Pissing off New Japan Pro Wrestling. Again, there are, there are many people in this world that I would, that I would take on. Antonio Inoki is not one of them. <laughs> so here's how you piss off New Japan Pro Wrestling. So... After his mask was removed, he was paired up with a per another person who had who just had his mask removed in Juventud Guerrera. Guerrera ended up having a couple of tours with New Japan, which he would end up winning the Junior Heavyweight Championship. Now, Guerrera was here's a weird thing: Guerrera was kayfabe injured on WCW television, and so Psychosis was given the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship to defend. 
on Guerrero's honor, which New Japan was really confused with. I, 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 and very much was pissed off in the fact that WCW thought they had carte blanche to hot potato the title in such a way. Turns out the reasoning as to why Guerrero was kayfabe injured was that Guerrero was actually arrested on DUI charges. Ah, uh, yes. And so what did New Japan do in terms of being really pissed off at WCW? They sent Jushin Liger over to WCW to take the title back from some psychosis. <laughs> I like to think of that as the wrestling equivalent of New Japan just being like, I don't know if you guys have ever seen that before, but it's the one of those things where like the they like fucking extend just goes gib. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh. It's like fuck. Okay, fuck you. Liger's coming over now. <laughs> <laughs> So, funny enough, Psychosis and Guerrero's title reigns were not officially recognised by New Japan until 2007. The fact that they even recognised them at all is fucking surprising to me. So, Psychosis shortly after that would get his second Cruiserweight title reign after, uh, well, pinning, uh, pinning the previous champion, Lenny Lane. Now, this was a quickly, hastily done thing because they were going to actually have Lenny Lane have the title for a very long time. Here's the thing about it. Dan no, might know where I'm going with this. Lenny Lane was an overly cliched, flamboyant homosexual. Ah. Ah. And because of that, WCW got in hot water with Glad, which, fucking obviously, they would get in trouble <laughs> with Glad. Yeah. And as a result, Lenny Lane was pulled from television very quickly and hastily the Cruiserweight Championship was given to Psychosis. Now, WCW claimed that he had won it in a house show. Uh, no, he was just given the title. <laughs> Once again, the gays give you what you want. <laughs> <laughs> so, funny thing is, the next Nitro, after that, Psychosis would lose it again. It would only seven day reign Psychosis ever had, but he lost it to Glenn Gilberti, Dan. <sighs> I have to remember that it was of the time, even though Disco Inferno has always sucked. Now, this gives Psychosis one of the very weirdest distinctions and titles that are, are that not very many, if only he has in WCW history. He has the distinction of having lost two championships that he never technically won. Can can I can like in my head I just want you to picture just me standing and saluting to a flag that just says the words Lucha on it on a flagpole. <laughs> yes. Well, just like we saluted <clears throat> Tony Storm when she entered yes. <laughs> yeah, last week. <laughs> so after this uh, Psychosis was pretty pissed off. Uh, was granted his official. Was granted his release mostly um, due to him wanting it, but also that WCW were doing mass cost-cutting measures in 2000 because they were really hemorrhaging money at that time. Though this did result in his brief return to ECW that spanned from July to November of 2000. Quite actually, quite a lot of really good matches actually uh, that he did have on this little run. He ended up having a date, his debut at the ECW Arena, 
team uh, facing off against Yoshihiro Tajiri. Hell yeah. As when he ended up having a four-way dance at the Heat Wave pay-per-view, taking on Tajiri, Little Guido, and Mikey Whipwreck. But unfortunately, during that time, uh, ECW was in financial trouble, and soon enough, in, in December of 2000, they stopped running shows, and Psychosis was out of work once more. This sees him jump here, there, and everywhere in this little pocket of time between 2000 and 2005. And gentlemen, it's about time that I talked about the XWF. <laughs> here we are, boys. Here we go. Hulk Hogan's XWF. You know, well, maybe not, sick. brother. Stones may sick and rocks may fall, but uh, maybe I want to try out on the XWF, dude. <laughs> oh, boy. So, yes, the, the much maligned and talked about XWF that didn't get uh, television time, but then ended up having uh, tele uh, like 10 television shows uh, filmed at Universal Studios. It was basically meant to be a what was being well this was november of 2000 this was meant to pick up on the basically the the last dregs of what would have been wcw and ecw and so if so wcw and ecw were still in business but basically hogan's gone at this point and basically we need another hulk hogan figure it doesn't make yeah. i mean it makes sense when you realize that brian knobs and jimmy hart were the ones that made the xwf <laughs> It shows, it... and boy, it shows again. Maybe that's one thing we'll definitely we will definitely do as like a Patreon thing. I'll let you guys watch episodes one and two of XWF, and you can definitely see that they were billing this as a Hulk Hogan vi uh, vehicle. Uh, even though their top guy during these tapings was a former British bodybuilder named Ian Harrison. Again, they they no. were they were doing Rob Terry before Rob Terry. You damn right they were. <laughs> also, Psychosis made a little appearance at the Australian promotion World Wrestling All Stars. Ah, oh, what a classic! <laughs> so he ended up uh, having a brief stint in All Japan as well, before eventually making his way to Consejo Mundial de Lucha Libre. Now, Psychosis at this time ended up having a bit of a copyright um, dispute with Triple R and himself, whereas they actually had rights to his ring name. And thus, because of that, and the fact that he was also unmasked, Triple R also had rights to his look, including his mask. And so they gave the Psychosis name to another wrestler. And so, without a gimmick, Psychosis ended up going to CMLL under his new name, Nicho El Milenario. Basically, he ended up playing kind of like a, a, a the stuck-up Brudo that made a ton of money over in America. Which it's you know basically what? Lucha, Lucha Million Dollar Man. Exactly. <laughs> but the thing here, and this is the thing that really does make me laugh. Because of that, Psychosis, the Triple R didn't have the rights in America. And so, Psychosis was able to go to America and actually book spots in cards under the Psychosis name. 
<laughs> right. God bless you, Tripler. <laughs> God bless you. This was what. This is how he was able <clears throat> to mostly go to America book dates, and also how he ended up on the card for the very first TNA pay per view. Uh, he was part of. I know that TNA TNA heard this. I'm like, we need you in now. Of course, he was part of the very first um, X Division title match, which was the four way between himself, Low Key, Jerry Lynn, and AJ Styles. Uh, go back watch it. It's a really good match. Really good match. Uh, well, I was gonna say much better than the flying. Actually, no. What, what could be better than the flying Elvises versus AJ Low Key and Jerry Lynn? <laughs> I will not have flying Elvis's erasure on this podcast. <laughs> he, he would sporadically make appearances for TNA all the way up to 2004. He wrestled on Victory Road in the 20-man International Invitational Battle Royal. He was he would actually ended up. Fun fact that would uh, uh, battle royal ended up being won by Hector Garza. Uh, he would eventually, though, in 2005, return to Tripler R and ended up. Feuding with the wrestler Psychosis 2 to retain to, to, to feud over who actually had the rights to the name Psychosis. This would lead to triple triple mania 13, where he would face Psychosis 2 in a name versus name ladder match. Of course. Funny enough, why, though, why would it be anything else? Not funny enough though. Neither man won the match. A super crazy ran in and took the name for himself. <laughs> why super crazy? Because what? why not? Why not? Well, mind you, at this time he was under the name Hysteria, but I thought it'd be funny if you knew that it was actually super crazy that took the name. Oh my god! This actually resulted in a freeway freeway uh, rivalry with Psychosis eventually taking the name and and winning uh, that feud. This brings us to 2005, where Castellanos, Super Crazy, and Juventud Guerrera signed contracts to WWE. And their first, and bo uh, both Super Crazy and Psychosis's first appearances in WWE for the very first time would have been at ECW One Night Stand in 2005. Um, Matt. Uh, this is uh, again a pay per view that we guys have to watch definitely as a pay per view yes. review because it's, it's actually... gonna take a while because it's actually good because it is so good it's so darn good. But this ended up being uh, his very first appearance for the WWE, and what a way for Paul Heyman to actually uh, book it right by actually having Psychosis and and uh, and Rey Mysterio going up against one another. Alas, the crowd weren't really into it. Because I think the the I think at that time during this pay per view during that match the SmackDown guys had appeared on in on the box at the Hammerstein Ballroom, and the fans were more preoccupied with goading them rather than watching the match. They also kind of shat on both of them when Psychosis took off his mask during his entrance, and when Rey Mysterio came out being much more of the WWE Rey Mysterio, what with the with the um, who's that jumping out sky theme and he and him oh he got booed for using the six one nine. Like Oh yeah. Ruthlessly booed for using the six one nine. Yeah, yeah, you can't be doing that. Just no. Just no. <laughs> so this brings us to 
The Mexicals. Do you guys remember the Mexicals on SmackDown? I I do vaguely remember it. Maybe my brain stopped. <laughs> so on June two thousand and five, Super Crazy, Hooventude, and Psychosis formed a fa- debuted to form a faction known as the Mexicals, where they would make their entrance on a lawnmower. Ah uh, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, and uh, of course their theme song being the sound of a lawnmower cutting grass as well, may I just add. Good old um, classic garden variety American racismo. Uh, do you know, fun fact about this, right? They, ra- they, they made their debut on a John Deere lawnmower, although someone on production decided to replace the John Deere logo with a Mexican flag and the sticker underneath it saying Juan Deer. You see, that's the kind of thing that can only come from a boardroom of white people. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> because personally, I feel like if that was actually being done by Mexicans, it would be far more involved and actually slightly funny. Yes. Yes, it did. So these guys came in, debuted to attack both Chavo Guerrero and Paul London during their Cruiserweight Championship match. Hoovy then cut a promo questioning the lack of true luchadors in the Cruiserweight division before deriding the state of Mexican Americans in general, and they and they said they weren't Mexican, they weren't Mexican Americans, they were Mexicals. Oh yeah, they also wore overalls as well. To so, yeah, further thing that oh look, Mexicans <laughs> mow the law, don't they? I will, I, I will say this though. Psychosis dubbed the lawnmower they arrived on, and then they did their entrances as the Mexican Limo 2005. You just, you, you just gotta be there and just like wonder, like, like there, there was a point where someone could have said stop. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it gets worse. Do, do I really want to bring this up? Uh, is it JBL by any chance? No, it's not JBL. It's a, it's a, it's something that the three of them remarked about. Um, like they claimed that they claimed that Mexico's president mocks Mexicans in the United States. Uh, this referenced uh, then President Vicente Fox's controversial remark that Mexican immigrants do the job that not even um, that not even black people want to do. Oh wow! Yeesh. Yeah. Which then ended with Guerrero stating that they were no longer there to clean toilets and work for the gringos, but they were going to be working for us, the Mexicals. It's just, the thing is, I love the three as individuals, right? And they are they are three amazing luchadors, and they've always put on amazing matches, but. I want to take the person who thought this would be a great idea to to dumb double down on the stereotype and slap them in the face. Yeah, that's a that's a someone needs to get slapped. They 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 really they really really do like like genuinely like uh, um so yeah their pay per view debut would be at the Great American Bash where they defeated the Blue World Order in a six man tag match. Talk about ECW without being ECW. <laughs> I will never know. 
So they were portrayed as heels in the beginning of their, of, of their uh, debut. Uh, because, of course. Uh, but eventually he returned babyface after feuding with the full-blooded Italians. Or basically what was left of them. I was going to say, what, what was left of them? Being Nunzio and Vito. This, though, would lead to super crazy and psychosis. Oh, by the way, yeah, Hoovy got a bit of heat backstage and got fired. Mm -hmm. I forgot to mention that. Seems to be a common theme with Hoovy around this time. <laughs> it is. So Super Crazy and Psychosis continue the Mexicals um, faction, now only as a tag team. They would end up winning a battle royale to earn a match against the then tag champions Eminem at Armageddon. Thing is, though, that Eminem lost the titles before the match, so the match was just turned into a standard tag match. Mm -hmm. So what was so what size the rest of Psychosis's time during this then? Well, the Psychosis ended up having a rivalry with the very famous tag team known as the Dicks. Right. Oh <laughs> God, yeah. Dick, do you remember the Dicks, Dad? Yeah, that was um. <laughs> That's two thousand five. <laughs> yeah. Ended up having a a, a little rivalry. With the FBI as well. They ended up... Ha uh, Psychosis ended up uh, being in the Royal Rumble in 2006. Entering at number four. Quickly eliminated by Rey Mysterio. And when the ECW brand was revived. This came with the expectations that... That both of them would go to the brand. Although it was only Super Crazy that went to the brand. This would end up... Ended up having a match of course where... Um, where Super Crazy and Tajiri ended up uh, teaming up to face the FBI at the 2006 One Night Stand. And then, of course, the Mexicals crumble during that time and end up having... I think it all came to a head when Great Carly attacked them. Mm -hmm. There you go. Psychosis now heel ends up having a, a blow-off match against Super Crazy on a July episode of SmackDown. He loses, and Psychosis sh uh, shortly afterwards gets released from his contract. Um, not not through kind of like inactivity. Well, it was because he was arrested in Mexico in November of that time. <laughs> a lot of arrests this episode. Um, yeah, you know what I mean. You know, yeah. like it it just comes with the territory. Ah, <laughs> uh, so yeah, the psychosis returns to CMLL in two thousand and six under the Nicho El Milenario gimmick. Um, he ended up having a lot of matches against El Hijo del Rey Mysterio during this time. Um, actually, one one match against El Hijo del Rey Mysterio actually ends up seeing him shatter his nose severely. Um, and this was during an Aplaster match, where he, which he lost and also got his head shaved. So, if there's any images, there are a couple of images, there is just a huge, like a bloodied psychosis... Blood dripping out of his nose and mouth, and he's just getting his head shaved. <laughs> oof, oof. He looks very uncomfortable because he was then, after he had his head shaved, ended up having to get rushed to a nearby hospital to get his nose set straight. Oh now he asked to get he, to go to the hospital right away, from what I've heard, 
But as is Mexican and Lucha tradition, you can't run out of a of an apuesta stipulation. And so, so <laughs> broken nose or no broken nose, you're getting your head shaved. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it at the hospital, huh? Nah, 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 nah. Of course not. Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> so. He returns to R in 2007 for quite a long run with the company. He comes out, debuts as Nicho, and starts a fight with Cybernetico. Of course, uh, of course, the very famous Cybernetico, which of course would then see those two end up to uh, to be part of Los Perros del Mal, the very famous R uh, faction that was started by Pedro Aguayo Jr. Rest in peace. Um... A little couple of notes here to talk about. He ends up having a lot of tag matches here and there. He ends up having a uh, a, a very interesting match where he takes on uh, the Triple the R Tag Team Champions of Atsushi Aoki and Go Shiozaki. Huh. What are they doing there? <laughs> ends up having, uh, having a couple of matches. Uh, he ends up uh, having a long reign with the Triple R Tag Championships, uh, with the team Le Hermandad One Eight Seven, that team consisted of. Let me. I, I do have it in my notes, but I just can't remember where I put the blooming name. Um, where are you? Where are you? I've I, I had it somewhere. I've lost it. I must have I must have deleted it for some darn reason. <laughs> some someone in our audience is screaming the answer. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I think it might have been him and Halloween that actually had that. Uh, they ended up winning those championship match the match uh, that that championship in a four way ladder match. Uh, oh no! Hang on, that's it, Joe Lider. That's the one. Boom, I can tell you, are. I ain't never heard of that person in my life. Yeah, like, literally. They ended up defeating Crazy Boy, Ultimo Gladiador, the Hart Foundation 2.0. Yes, that means Teddy Hart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, gosh. So that reign with the tag titles comes to an end when they end up defeat, uh, being defeated by Taiji Ishimori and Takeshi Morishima. Now that's a pairing. That's a hell of a pairing. <laughs> that is the little and large. <laughs> they also ended up having a couple of tag matches with Beer Money Incorporated. Hell yeah. Love that. Nice. nice. <laughs> so, with all of this, this brings us to his little time, of course, with, um, with Los Pedos del Mal. Now, how familiar are you, Dan, with Los Pedos del Mal? Somewhat familiar. Like I know, I know mostly about what they've end up like. Subsequently, end up doing in like Noah and stuff. Yes. So basically, um, the base, the best way I could put it to a person who's unfamiliar with um, with Lucha is that Los Pedos del Mal are basically kind of like the NWO. But done just a little bit better for for lucha for the for for lucha libre. So Los Pedos del Mal in English translates to the Dogs of Evil, and I believe it was in Triple Triple Mania in 2010 that they started their invasion storyline. 
and it was Paraguayo, Damien666, Halloween, and LA Park that invaded Triple uh, R. And, and they pretty much aligned themselves quickly with all of the other Rudo stables. That's La Legion Extranjera, um, Las Maniacos, and La Sociedad as well. And this is when... Um, psychosis comes into the mix as well with 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 the group uh, as well and they run rough shots just like just making sure that, that that they're the ones that are on top and making sure that they have all of the gold and all of the belts but of course at top was pedo aguayo jr as well some of the members as well this made me this made me like when looking back at it really kind of made me go huh i forgot they were part of los Deros del mal uh mr aguila of course who was of mm -hmm. course sa rios in the wwf yes blue demon jr um daga oh wow shout out daga hector gaza okay Ivelisse was a part of Los, uh, Los Perros del Mal for a little bit of time. Uh, Mephisto. Pentagon, I forgot, was part of Los Perros del Mal. And I realised, no, no, of course he was part of um, Los Perros del Mal. Um, Piroff Jr. Ricky Marvin was part of them. Ricky Marvin! Now, what a guy that is. Shocker, Supernova, Tarzan Boy. Fucking Teddy Hart was part of them at one point. It was a goddamn. I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Teddy Hart was really going around this time, huh? Just a little bit. But of course, you know, him being him, he didn't stay around for, ter for too long. As I say, he didn't course. stay anywhere too long. Because it's Teddy Hart, of course it was. But no, this ended up kind of keeping um, Psychosis, aka Nicho, pretty much in a job for Triple R for the, very, for the longest time. And during all of this, he ended up going into the independent circuit alongside Triple R here, there, and everywhere where they would take um, bookings. Um, he would end up forming a faction known as La Family de Tijuana in the independence, which saw him, Halloween, Extreme Tiger, and Damien uh, form a, a little faction, and eventually end up having rivalries with with team with people like Chavo Guerrero. Uh, LAX, the original ones of Hernandez and Homicide, and Luke Hawks. Of course, Luke Hawks' fame to cl uh, claim to fame, of course, is playing Steve Austin in Young Rock. I don't feel like that's a uh, that's fame an achievement. <laughs> I don't know, maybe. <laughs> Aside from the way I look, I reckon I could do a more convincing Stone Cold than him. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. <laughs> he ended up ended up having a little rivalry with LA Park, Mascara Sagrada, and Octagon. Uh, they ended up having a four way tag match, which saw Psychosis team up with Fuerza Guerrero and King Azteca. Uh, a six man, sorry, not a, not a, not an eight man. Um, and after that, pretty much having matches here and there in the Tijuana area and within America. Usually reuniting with Juventud Guerrera, having matches with guys like Arandu, Extreme Tiger, LA Park, Hernandez. And eventually, of course, again, it was at that time that, around that time in 2014, um, uh, Aguayo would betray Psychosis, kick him out of Los Perros del Mal. And in, two, and in August, he would, uh, that Psychosis would eventually be released. 
from Triple R, which saw him then go really go in to his time in the independence. Just to give you a kind of like a like a, a broad spectrum of stuff, um, he would end up uh, a lot of places in, in Mexico. So places like uh, Chilanga, uh, Promociones Canto, XMW, BSW. He would end up eventually having a couple of American spots as well. Uh, coming up to his return to Triple R. But one thing struck me really weird at this time is that he would occasionally team up in Mexico with Nick Gage. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> fuck, fuck off. What? The god of this shit. <laughs> well, excuse No. I need, I need Honestly, some my, elaboration. My on only that. thing is just Nick Gage was allowed into Mexico? Yeah, that's my <laughs> second question. That man, man was allowed to cross a border? <laughs> yeah, I thought they tried to, to keep that man contained as much as possible. Supposedly not. <laughs> no, Nick Gage ended up having, a, would occasionally end up having matches and occasional tours in Mexico. And so happens that they ended up teaming up quite a number of times. And this is like, this is like post. 20, like, 10. Mm-hmm. Well, shit. Now, <laughs> I have... Now, I really want to know what that trick that trip was like for Nick Gage. Because I, I cannot... I cannot contemplate Nick Gage, like, just being out and about as a tourist. Nick what did Gage that... outside the confines of New Jersey. Yeah. Oh, like, he's definitely... Oh, he's definitely touring Tijuana, like like touristing around Tijuana. Yeah, but That's like, but like, yeah, but like, not but like the good touring, not the good touristing Tijuana. But, <laughs> yeah, but no, but not like no. See, that's too easy. Like imagining him, like you know, having like you know, drinking tequila and doing all of that and blah blah blah. No, I'm imagining like Nick Gage going to a museum, <laughs> like. Like oh, he's definitely doing that, isn't he? Like witnessing national landmarks. <laughs> oh, he definitely is. He definitely is without a doubt. One little match as well. Another one that surprised the heck out of me was during a show for the promotion The Crash. Uh that was based in uh was based in the kind of Tijuana and Baja California area of, of Mexico. This six-man tag match, I swear, is made up or made up in a randomizer. It's the team of Jeff Hardy, Ray Phoenix, and Rey Mysterio Jr. take on the team of Jeff Cobb, Psychosis, and Teddy Hart. Aside yeah. from Teddy Hart, whoever booked that match was cooking. <laughs> that see, the thing is though, Jeff Hardy is full is full of these. It's true. Oh, he absolutely is. It's like the, uh, the the Jeff Hardy Battle Arts match. Yes! Which, which, which by the way, is absolutely batshit. But, yeah, like, it, he's one of those people that's just full of those, like, random matches out there. Still, though, I'm, 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 I'm here for it. <laughs> As I, again, get rid of Teddy Hart from that match, and I, I'm, I'm thinking that's a, that's a sleeper. <laughs> it really is, actually. It really is. He also actually had a couple of appearances in GCW. As a matter of fact, uh, on the 2018 GCW Live Fast Die Young, Joey Janela defeated Psychosis in 8 minutes 52. Yep, that sounds about right. Uh, uh, yeah, it was the natural progression. Natural progression, of course, of course. This sees him return to Triple R in 2016, 2017. He returns for the first time in two years 
alongside Damien, Halloween, and Pagano to attack Pentagon, Tyre, Khan, Joe Lyder, and Daga after Pentagon won the match. This would see uh, see them ended up having uh, kind of costing the the remaining members of Los Perros del Mal matches, and would allow uh, it was during the worldwide um, the worldwide pay per view in June the fifth that Psychosis came down to cost uh, uh, Los Perros del Mal another match against Los uh, Los Psycho Circus, which of course was the, the Psycho Clowns, yeah. uh, the the team of Psycho Clown, Monster Clown, and Murder Clown. <laughs> Just go with it. <laughs> so not much really. I can't really say much other than him having a couple of matches here. Him trying to interfere in Los Perros del Mal matches. He ended up having some four ways here and there. But soon enough after that, he ends up going straight back to the Independence. Having a couple of matches here and there in the Independence. The Crash. Having a match here in GCW. And this is where Psychosis' career kind of really starts slowing down a lot more as the man is now, in the, at around this point in 2018, he's in his late 40s. Ends up ha- uh, working predominantly with the with CWE, Canadians Wrestling Elite, so he ends up having a lot of stuff in Canada. Uh, usually going up, teaming with uh, Super Crazy, teams up with guys like uh, Mentalo and uh, and Jude Dawkins, those guys uh, within the uh, the Canadian area. Not much really to kind of note within this one. He ends up having a freeway with uh, with Jimmy Jacobs and Norman Harris. Uh, that is kind of a kind of a little bit of a little bit of a sleeper. He ends up having teaming with Mentalo to take on Michael Elgin and Killer Cross in a weird. But again, it's one of those things that you go really. He had this sort of match, dang. Um, but he ends up going back to Mexico shortly around in 2019. Ends up having a triple threat match between Joe Lyder and Penta. And after that, it's pretty much that Penta, that Psychosis is still going at the age of 52 and is booked here, there, and everywhere. He ends up having a couple more appearances in Triple R facing off in multi-man matches and, and, and tag matches. He teams up with El Hijel Di Vikingo and Antaya Valkyrie to, to defeat the team of Los, of Los Mercenarios and uh, uh, Ayako Hamada. Uh, he ends up having a, a, a tag match in Defy, of all places, yep. as well. Uh, and ends up having uh, pretty much when the just as the pandemic hit, he ended up having a, a bit of a of a of a of a of a of a reunion. That's the way I could only say it. As he teamed with Hoovy and Super Crazy to defeat the team of uh, Jonathan Preston, Sean Preston, and Vinnie Vane in Australia. Um, and after that, pretty much when the pandemic hits, he slows pretty much down quite a lot uh the only things that i can really see here of note is that he actually he has a match or uh, against tony deppen in gcw he ends up having a match at xpw <laughs> oh my god well i'm not surprised to be fair and of course he pretty much has his last match as of this recording was him being defeated at triple mania against negro casas um, in Triple R, and from he's still going to this point at fifty-two yeah. years old. Although a lot of people say that he is now of that, um, 
you know when luchadors at the in their 50s become more violent yes as they can't no longer do that <laughs> crazy many high spots. spots yeah well psychosis seemingly looks as if he's really slowed down but doesn't do the violent spots now so basically he's just flailing about at 52 <laughs> Yeah, from what I can, I've I've looked up. It seems that he has he's retired from full time wrestling. So he's mm. now he is now just a full part timer, just doing. He is his on thing. the he is on the one match a month circuit. Yeah, as you would do, as you would. Do. Oh yeah, absolutely. Which is which is sensible. I mean, here's the thing. This is this is the bit that makes me laugh is that Damien six 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 is still wrestling and he is sixty two years old. <laughs> But this is the thing, though, right? There's wrestlers of a certain time period that just don't know when to quit. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <clears throat> and some again, it, it's like they were going on the whole it, the whole thing recently. Um, I can't remember who it was. <clears throat> oh, it was about um, uh, Tyrus. Oh Christ! Um, and about like the thing, the the video clips that came out from the his match against EC3 and NWA. Yeah, <laughs> and I saw like, someone was there, but like Yoshiaki Fujiwara is more mobile than him. <laughs> no, yeah, dude's like fucking seventy four. <laughs> he's not wrong. I mean, they're not wrong. <laughs> oh, so that is kind of where we're at at the moment with psychosis. And his life and his career. But one thing that I can take away... Sorry, I just need a drink of water. Apologies, everyone. <laughs> I was wondering, is he eating a sweet? No, turns out eating a Toblerone and talking at the same time is just not good. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing I, can, I gauged from all of this is that Psychosis had a really good base to work on in the nineteen mm -hmm. in the nineteen nineties and early two thousands. And it's just a shame that he never through maybe through circumstance, through the, I guess from just the whole machinations of promotions here and there, was never able to fully capitalize on it like quite like Rey Mysterio did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause he is I still think he's legend as as in terms of his status in in the world of Lucha it's set in stone. He is a legend. He is the guy that really kind of revolutionized Lucha Libre for the 90s and as to now what it is uh, in modern day. It's just a shame that he never got to get to that point that Rey Mysterio got to. As I get, as a lot of a lot of Rey Mysterio's contemporaries um, did. Well, this is the thing I always say though, right? Which is that for the longest time, WWE were obsessing over finding the next Rey Mysterio. Mm. And they would have had multiple easy opportunities to do that, but they just refused to. Like, do you remember... Ugh, this is a whole story. Do you remember the, um, the time where WWE, when they had the Cruiserweights, actually wanted to make another uh, division for light heavyweights where they brought yes. Japanese talent in and luchadors in. And it wasn't I, what, I, what I affectionately refer to as the Taka Michinoku division. Exactly. <laughs> Thing is though, Johnny Ace got that wrong, misinterpreted what he meant, uh, what what everybody meant, and basically brought in a whole bunch of um, of midget wrestlers. Yeesh. See, the thing, the thing with all of this is, again, 
But we How? Get, but we did get Super Porky in WWE. So see, that's that's that that goes crazy. Super Porky goes crazy, right? <laughs> Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. <laughs> but um, it's just annoying when they could have had all this really good stuff. And even when we say we say stuff like that, you still get people like Masquerita Sagrada who go crazy. Yes. Like it, it's it's not like it's any kind of like astonishing thing. But yeah, WWE obsessed themselves over like finding the next Rey Mysterio. And then every time they had an opportunity to do that, they were like, Alright, we're not gonna do that. And then yeah. got annoyed that they couldn't find another Rey Mysterio. Yeah. Yeah, like they had it almost on a silver platter with those three in two thousand. Yeah. Like yes, I yes, I, yes, I yes, I know Juventud Guerrera is in fact a person. Yeah. But like, he'd probably do a decent job for you in the interim. That's true. Very true. Very true. Actually, talking about that, it's a really sad story. I remembered when uh, Super Crazy said that he was paid so little in WWE that he was practically homeless. Oof. Yeah. And that's that sucks, for lack of a better term. Um, but no, Psychosis is still wrestling to this day on a part-time capacity, occasionally wrestling on indies, making the appearance here and there in RRR. Dude's still going, so... I can't say much more than that. I mean, on a more positive note, at least we're talking one of these retrospectives that ends with a guy still doing his craft. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. Oh, thank goodness. So I will always have psychosis, always hold psychosis in a very high regard and a very high light because most of the matches I would grew up watching ended up with him and Rey Mysterio absolutely, like, killing one another. Like, doing all of these amazing high spots. So, I can't say much other than that. <laughs> Alrighty. So, yeah, that pretty much ends this week's episode. Um, we're going to... Yeah, that's, it's, it's good to be back. Good to be back into the swing of things. Sorry if I it is. guilted. It seems like it's been a couple of weeks I've been out of the loop of it. So, apologies, fellas, if I was a bit... Ah. Hey! We're back. That's all that matters. We're and we've back. Got We're doing good, things. And we've got good episodes upcoming. Oh, are we? Next episode, I'm quite, I'm quite uh, looking forward to. As we go over... We're calling this the Curse of Pentagon Jr., okay? but So hear us out. We're going to be chronicling some of Penta's most infamous matches. Uh, whether it, w win lose doesn't matter, we're going to talk the most notable and most infamous of Pentagon's matches. But we're also just going to go over what makes Penta Penta, and also he does have this really weird kind of like, like bad luck or like uh, like like curse on him. There is a thing about the Pentagon gimmick that brings <laughs> just weird things. Oh yeah, we're going to be talking about, of course, the the death match between Vampiro, his uh, his alignment with the Black Lotus, uh, the tribe in Lucha Underground. We're also going to go over a couple of matches uh, in PWG, and of course his time in AEW. We're basically just doing like a quick little match chronicle and kind of weaving kind of like this common thread of Penta being like, this dude's weird, man. 
Jones, but he's absolutely captivating to watch. So that's coming up all on the next episode. Until then, I have been Sam, this has been Brazen and Dan, and you have been listening to the Sweet Kid. See you soon.